Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, February 13th, we are studying Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what Jesus has just said. So what does it mean to come to him and rest? Does it mean to keep the strict Sabbath laws according to the scribes and the Pharisees? Or does Jesus have a rest that is far better for his people? To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Zelwyn Heidi. Pastor Heidi serves as the pastor at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. He's also one of the hosts of the podcast, A Word Fitly Spoken. Pastor Heidi, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Glad to be back. It's been a little while, but I'm looking forward to digging into the text with you. As we get started then, Pastor Heidi, give us some context. Where are we in Matthew's Gospel? What do we need to know that's going to help us as we look at the text today? In terms of where we are in the Gospel, I mean, we've, we're past the Sermon on the Mount. We're dealing with um, Jesus's, you know, healings and stuff like that that he's been going through. And this is also just a little bit before his parables, which will begin in Matthew chapter 13. So, what we have going on here in chapter 12 is kind of a transitional period that's going to help us to understand what it means to understand who Jesus is, to understand what the kingdom of God is. And as we're going to see, there are many who, like the Pharisees, don't really understand what that is, and they don't really understand what God has come to do. So Matthew in chapter 12 is starting to transition towards this this deeper understanding of what it is that Jesus has come to do for us, I think. Yeah, I think that's good. What about, you, you know, you mentioned the Sermon on the Mount. That's the first major discourse of Jesus that you get in Matthew's Gospel. You mentioned chapter 13, the parables that he's about to tell coming up. What about right. the discourse in in chapter ten? The sometimes it's called the missionary discourse. How does how does that fit in and and lead up to to chapter twelve here? Well, I mean, in chapter ten, the second major discourse, the missionary discourse, you have Jesus reassuring his disciples that they're going to be facing opposition, um, that they're going to be dealing with people who are opposed to them. So you know, don't be afraid of them because God is with you. And as we move then into like the uh, John the Baptist, you know, trying to come to grips with who Jesus is and all of these questions. Yeah, there is going to be opposition to Jesus, even for an opposition to Jesus' disciples. But now we're getting a clearer understanding of what that opposition is going to look like. Men who think that they're serving God, in a sense, but in reality have misunderstood what it is that God is doing. And we're going to see a, a very good picture of that today with the Pharisees and their opposition to Jesus, particularly in the way that he lives and acts and does on the Sabbath. So let's go ahead and read this text. It's Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. 
and the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim just to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. That's the text for today, Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. Pastor Heidi, the, the text starts, the Sabbath is the theme, and that continues, I think, through the whole text. So, so the scene is, Jesus and his disciples are going through grain fields. It's the Sabbath day. His disciples are hungry. They begin to grab some of the grain as they're walking through, and they're eating it, which for me, I mean, that sounds like a normal thing to do, but it causes great angst for the Pharisees. What's what's going on here? What's the background that we need to know that, that describes why is this a big deal for the Pharisees? The Pharisees have an understanding of the Sabbath from the Old Testament that would forbid any kind of preparation of food. And this, of course, I mean, comes from passages dealing like Exodus 35, verse 3, which forbids making fires on the Sabbath, and also in Exodus chapter 16, where Moses commands Israel to not prepare any food on the Sabbath day, but rather to prepare it all the day before so that they could eat it. And I think what's especially causing the Pharisees angst here is that I don't know how much experience our listeners or, or you, Pastor Apple, have with being in a field and actually plucking heads of grain. It's not like you can just pluck the head and you just eat it. I mean, you have to thresh it out a little bit. You, you kind of have to work at it to get even an appreciable amount to make it worth your while. So what's going on here is, is that the disciples seem to be doing something that is involving a fair amount of work to get food. It's not like they're just picking up a little bit of food and just kind of eating it, you know, they like they're stopping at a convenience store. And so to the Pharisees then, it would seem like they are in violation of that of that Sabbath prohibition. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I mean this is this is more than say like being in a vineyard and picking right. grapes, which would right. be very fairly simple to actually pluck the grain you're going to have to do something to actually get to eat it. So so maybe that makes the Pharisees' response a bit more understandable. And you said they've, they've got some Old Testament background, it would seem. Mm -hmm. Well, what's, what's wrong with the way that the Pharisees are approaching this issue? Well, the way that they're approaching this issue is, is they're really only focused on the outward act itself. And they're not really understanding what it is that God has given these laws for. So in their effort to keep their own, to keep these laws according to their own understanding and to keep all of the laws which they have built up around that understanding, um, they're really only focused on, you know, what it is that I'm doing in an outward sense. So they're not really concerned with the disciples actually being hungry, which they are. They're more concerned with what are you physically doing? And is that in a keeping with what we think to be the law of God. And that's what they have misunderstood. They have misunderstood why God has given this law in the first place, right? Well, so so why has God given this law in the first place then? I mean, you, you have, as you brought out in the Old Testament, you've got laws on the Sabbath that do talk about not doing physical labor. And, and you've made mm -hmm. the case that plucking heads of grain here is more of physical labor than we might imagine it to be. I mean, they've, they've got that text, it would seem. So what, what are they missing in the Old Testament concerning the Sabbath that leads to their misapplication here? They've misunderstood it because, I mean, well, like the New Testament tells us, you know, the, the law was given as a way of teaching, as a way of moving us like a, a pedagogue toward Christ. And so because they're so focused on the externals, they've missed the lesson in general, which is, you know, God is calling for us to, you know, focus on the things of God, to set aside time for him to, 
you know, come and to receive his gifts, that sort of thing. But they're so, you know, because we can get so caught up with the cares and the concerns of this world that maybe we'll never have any time for God, you know, that sort of thing. But they've become so caught up with the what how God sought to teach that to Israel and the particulars of how God sought to teach that to Israel, along with all of their additions to that, because they had all kinds of additions to the law. Otherwise, they wouldn't be Pharisees. Um, they think that that is why God gave it, period. Not as a teaching tool, but as a literal prohibition. And so for that reason, they misunderstand what it is that Jesus is doing. So, I mean, and I know Jesus' answer is going to take us here, but but as you look at the Old Testament, Pastor Heidi, what what is it that the Sabbath was intended to teach about, particularly about Christ, as you said? Sure. Well, I mean, we we as pastors, you know, we say that um, that Christ is our Sabbath rest. That you know that we will find that rest in Him. That there will come a point in which we will uh, lay down our labors and receive find that rest in Jesus. I mean, you you rightly pointed out in Matthew chapter eleven. How Jesus is saying, you know, come to me, all you who labor, and I will give you that rest. But I think that the Sabbath is also, like I said before, intending to teach us that, you know, our rest is in Christ. But for that reason, you know, we should come to him, that we shouldn't think that these worldly things that we have going on are the only thing that, you know, we are set here to do. But eventually these things will also come to an end in Christ as well. So we're looking forward to the, the great Sabbath, as the, the book of Hebrews says, you know, the great Sabbath rest, which is waiting for us in Christ. And Jesus, of course, knows all this. <laughs> and, and so he's, he's going to point this out to the Pharisees. And he, he does it in, I mean, at least as I read his answer, a way that it was not as direct as I'd like him to be, I suppose. You know, why can't you just come out and, and say this, Jesus? But he, he does it in, in the way that is right, because he's Jesus, and, and he knows what right. he's doing. So it, he starts off by bringing up this example with David. He talks about a, a time, you know, haven't you read, which, oh, that's a bit of a, that's that had to sting a little bit, I think. You know, if, some, if someone came up to me and said, Pastor, haven't you, haven't you read in the Bible? Like, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think that stings a little bit. But so he brings up this example with David eating some some bread in the house of God. What what's this example? What's the Old Testament background that he's bringing up here, Pastor Heidi? The Old Testament background is First Samuel chapter twenty one. David is currently getting out of Jerusalem because Saul is trying to kill him. And so while he's on his journeys, as he's kind of heading to the northeast past the Mount of Olives, uh, David arrives at the city of Nob, which is described in 1 Samuel chapter 22 as being a city of the priests. So in other words, it's probably where some of the worship of God is going on in those days, because remember, the temple hasn't been built yet. So this is before the temple and still in the days of the tabernacle. And so... Um, they are worshiping at this city. But when David gets there with his young men, uh, they're hungry, just like what's going on here with Jesus and his disciples. And David asks the priest at that in that place, a man by the name of Ahimelech, for some bread. He says, you know, I, my young men are hungry. Can you help us out? Kind of a thing. And Ahimelech tells him that the only bread that they have available is the holy bread, the show bread. Uh, that which was actually given to God and set in the temple. The problem with that, of course, is that this bread, according to Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 through 9, was meant for God, but it was also food meant only for the priests. It was not someone, it was not supposed to be given to just anyone. This was Aaron in his part of Aaron and his son's food, as that was it was due to them for being the priests. But Ahimelech, because out of a out of understanding, you know, the law of love and understanding what it is that God wants him to do, gives this bread to David and to his young men, you know, as long as they are not being completely defiled. Um, and so he feeds them when they are in need of food. And so the reason why I think Christ's example is actually so apt here is because what he's saying is, is that you look to David, Pharisees, and you think that David was, you know, upright and honest and outstanding in his character, you know, most of the time. 
And yet you don't condemn him for doing pretty much exactly the same thing that's going on right now. Because this law was not intended to starve a man to death, you know, as if he couldn't eat anything and it would mean that he would die. It was really meant to just focus, help us to focus on the things of God. And it is completely lawful to do what is good and what is right, like helping a hungry man, even with the holy things on the Sabbath. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I want to come back a little bit, though, on on one of those items, because the, the other... I mean, one of the examples that comes to mind from the Old Testament that maybe stands a little bit in contradiction, it would seem, to this, is the example of the guy, I can't remember now, who reaches out and touches Uzzah, right? Who reaches out and okay. touches the ark. The, the ark is, is going up to Jerusalem later. I think this is in this is in 2 Samuel, I believe. Or no. Yeah, right. right. 2 Samuel. Right. And, yeah. and it's going up to Jerusalem, and the ark is, is unsteady for a moment. He reaches out to, to touch it to steady it and he's he's struck dead. Now right. I mean do you see the disconnect between that example here we've got holy things that that were only for the priests to touch and to eat and David David goes and and eats them without being struck because of the law of of love I think was the way you phrased it. Right. Later you've got an example of the ark which is also a holy thing not to be touched and it would seem that that this man is trying to do a good thing and he's struck dead. So now, uh, what, what's the difference, Pastor Heidi? <laughs> Uzzah, when he tries to steady the ark because of the, you know, the oxen stumble, I would argue is doing it not so much out of, you know, he's doing a good thing, but because of his, well, I mean, he's not listening, okay? It's one thing to, for David to receive the holy bread, you know, when he asks for it and the priests, you know, and kind of investigates what's going on and says, okay, this is a situation that, you know, this where the law of love would apply. It's another thing for Uzzah in his kind of, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, his kind of his unbelief in a sense that, you know, he's thinking that, oh, I'm going to, you know, study this for somehow because I'm afraid that God's not going to take care of it or something like that. And therefore, because he's not listening to God in that case, I think that's the reason why he's struck dead. But we also have to remember that um, the holy bread was something that belonged to the holy place, whereas the ark was also something that belonged to the most holy place. So maybe that has something to do with it as well. You know, sure. for Uzzah to approach what essentially is the most holy in his misguided effort to to steady the ark. Sure, right. The 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 ark would have been that's as close to God's presence as you can get, whereas right. the showbread would have been in the holy place, not quite all the way. So, right. so here's here's what I'm wondering too, though, and and it goes to what Jesus is going to say, where he says, "I tell you, something greater than the temple is here." Right. I, I wonder if if something if if the fact that this is David makes a difference as well, because David is at this point in first sec in first Samuel twenty one. He is the anointed one, right? I mean, right. He's, he is the the Mashiach, the Christ, there in in First Samuel twenty one, and and so because of who he is, and and Ahimelech, Ahimelech, I think is how you said it. We'll try to use your pronunciation, Ahimelech, right? Whatever. Recognizes <laughs> here is the anointed one in front of me. I am with the anointed one, therefore I am going to give to him that which is rightly his. In other words, David functions as a type of Christ in that sense. And now now the Christ comes and says, remember what David did? That was pointing forward to this very moment, what I'm doing. And and because these guys, these disciples, because that's where the controversy is, because they're with me, what they're doing cannot be breaking the Sabbath because I'm the anointed one and I'm with them and they are doing it with me. Almost, almost rather, so rather than the argument being the, the law of love, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that's wrong necessarily, but, but maybe it's more of David functioning as a type of Christ, and and Jesus here says, I'm greater than David. I'm the son of David, as Matthew's already told us. I don't know, Pastor Heidi. What do you think? Well, if the the, the point where he says that something greater than the temple of here actually comes from his second example that he uses as a way of proving this. So I think that's more applicable there. <laughs> I know. I know that. But 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 there's no I mean he doesn't he doesn't give he doesn't give anything for the first one. Right? I mean right. He, he he gives the first example and then he moves straight into the the second and it's not until you get to the second that he he sort of says here's the point something greater than the temple is here. 
and I know he does. I know the the temple as a building has not been built in first sec in first Samuel twenty one, but there is this house of God that's there functioning as a a temple. And so I'm just I'm just wondering if there's a connection. That's that's my that's my my question, I guess, or, or what I'm what I'm wondering out loud. I might be I might be wrong, um, and I'm I'm okay with that. But I'm just <laughs> you know, with with David being who he is, and and Jesus being the greater David. Later, this is going to come a question, right? How how can the Messiah be David's son and David's Lord? I mean, this is this is at least a something that's running underneath Matthew as, as an undercurrent. We get him, we get son of David in the very first verse, right? That, that Jesus Christ is the son of David. So I, I, that's, that's a connection I'm trying to make. Maybe it's not there. And, and I'm just talking myself in circles, but <laughs> no, I, 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 I see, I see your point. I do. I mean, obviously, yes, yeah, certainly the son of David is the greater one, you know, the greater than David, something greater than Solomon is here as Jesus says, says elsewhere. Um, but if we're, but we don't want to deny the fact that, you know, these things, like you say, are meant to teach us. And for that reason, you know, we don't want to get too hung up on the externals like the Pharisees are doing. Because it's not just that David is eating what is properly belonging to the priests, but it's not like he took it for himself. He asks it from the hand of Ahimelech. You know, Ahimelech, as the high priest at that time, gives it to him willingly. Because of, like, well, I'm, at least I'm arguing for the law of love, that we should take care of our neighbor in this case, because that's ultimately what God wants. He wouldn't want David and his young men to, you know, perish when, the, when there was an opportunity to give them the things that they needed. So, so. And, and just to maybe to put that in different terms, then the Pharisees are trying to play one commandment against another or something, something like sure. that. Whereas, whereas David or Ahimelech and, and the example from first, second, first Samuel chapter 21 is that the commandments are being viewed as a whole, that, that sure. love the Lord, your God, love your neighbor as yourself all go together. And, right. and when we work, when we keep them together, they're not going to contradict each other. Like the Pharisees are trying to do here, playing the disciples hunger, their bodily need, against this commandment that's really there to teach them to love God, right? And to, to right. listen to his word and to receive his things, which would then, I think that does also answer the question I asked about Uzzah earlier, where there we're dealing not with the need of the neighbor, but totally with the need of God, as, as you said, right? This right. is his ark. He's, he's got it. He's got it. Where, and that, that would be the, the distinguishing mark between those two accounts. Is that a fair summary? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay, so so there's the first example, and we, we got about three minutes here on, on this side of the break, Pastor Heidi, to, to start looking at the second example. The second example there in verse 5, again, Jesus says, haven't you guys read, right, in the law? And he brings up the example of priests in the temple profaning the Sabbath, yet remaining guiltless. What's he, what's he talking about here? What he's talking about is that the priests in the observation of their normal duties, you know, carrying out their normal work, would have to do things that otherwise would be considered Sabbath breaking. Um, you remember earlier where I mentioned that like fires are forbidden on in Exodus 35 are forbidden on the Sabbath and food is also forbidden from being made on the Sabbath in Exodus chapter 16. Well, if you look at, for example, the showbread itself, you know, this bread, which is given to God, which David ate, um, that was actually commanded to be made on the Sabbath as we read in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 8, and then also we read in passing in 1 Chronicles 9, verse 32. That bread was baked the day that it was used. Now, that would seem to be a violation of the Sabbath. You know, why are you kindling a fire? Why are you cooking on the day of the Sabbath? But the point is, is that the priests, even though they are doing these things, which seem to be breaking the Sabbath, are fact not doing that at all because they are doing it in obedience to the command of God. These things are meant to teach us and not to, again, make us focus on the external act. So then Jesus, and again, to me, this example seems a bit more straightforward. Jesus wraps it up by saying, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And you say, Pastor Heidi, earlier, this is meant to connect to that second example. What's what's Jesus getting at? 
Well, I, I think that if he's saying that, you know, in the temple, the priests did these things and were not in violation of the Sabbath, how much greater then that when we have the greater temple, that is Jesus, are these things not a violation of a Sabbath? And then for that reason, I do think you can kind of connect the later expression of this. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. It is his to do with as he pleases. And the Pharisees are not going to command him to do something contrary to, I mean, his day, basically. Right? Right. So so the, the argument that Jesus is making then is that the priests in the temple are not actually breaking the Sabbath day because they're doing this at God's command and because of the importance of the temple itself, right? right? That, that because this is the temple of God, that these activities, which otherwise elsewhere, right, in your personal tent, this would be breaking the Sabbath. But because it's happening in the temple at God's command, it's not breaking the Sabbath. And, and now, as you gave it to us, Pastor Heidi, right, take it to Jesus. These activities that the disciples are doing, they are with the greater temple, Jesus. And so they are not breaking the Sabbath because they're with him. They're with Jesus. And I, I think that's I think that's the point. We're gonna we're at our break now. We're gonna go ahead and take that. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFO, looking at the first part of Matthew chapter 12. Stick around, we'll be right back. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Thursday, February 13th. We are studying Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 21, with Pastor Zelwyn Heidi of St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. Pastor Heidi, prior to the break, we were, we were looking at what Jesus says in response to the Pharisees concerning their attack against him, their accusation against him and his disciples for working on the Sabbath. And, and we talked about the example of David, we talked about the example of the priest, and we said that Jesus says, look, something greater than the temple is here. He, he is the greater temple. And so what his disciples are doing is, is good and right because they are with him. And, and then again, he's going to bring out scripture to them. And in verse 7, he, he actually brings out a scripture passage that he's mentioned to them before. This is not the first time that he's quoted this to them. If you had known what this means... I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would have not. You would not have condemned the guiltless. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Where does that come from, Pastor Heidi? And what point is Jesus making with that verse? This is a quotation from Hosea chapter six, verse six, and what he's doing in quoting this verse to them is basically to teach them that God does not command us to do these things apart from righteousness, apart from holiness. Um, because if we have sacrifice without mercy, we're not, in fact, keeping the law of God, no matter how much we think that we are. Um, the, the purpose that, I mean, the reason why I think Jesus brings this out to the Pharisees in particular is because by this point in the gospel, and sometime, you know, if you're reading along with this, you know, go through the gospel of Matthew and just kind of see the reactions of the Pharisees as we go along. You know, because it starts out in the very first part of Matthew as being just kind of questions. You know, they're not really sure what's going on. And by the time we get to the end of the gospel, of course, they're putting him to death. But at this point in the middle of the gospel, kind of right in the, the heart of the things, they're starting to get a bit snippy. Um, they're really starting to be really, really not fair at all to what it is that Jesus is doing. They're looking for any possible excuse to bring him down. And so because they have this loveless attitude towards him, because they're just looking for anything to, to throw at him, you know, they'll, they'll come up with the, the most ridiculous conceivable situation they can think of just to try to trap him. It really does show the condition of their hearts, that they're more interested in being right at this point than they are in actually doing what God wants them to do. 
And so Jesus quoting Hosea to them, you know, I desire mercy and not sacrifice is really a rebuke to them, you know, to turn away from this loveless attitude that they have, not only towards Jesus, but also towards, well, everything, you know, towards their neighbor as well. Right. So, so the accusation there against against the Pharisees or the rebuke towards the Pharisees, perhaps better said, is mm-hmm. is that they they are as you said earlier, right? They're concerned about the outward action, right? And maybe to put it in different terms, there's no faith in their hearts, right? right? I mean, similar to what you and I, I know talked about Amos at least once, right? But but very similar right. to the message of the prophets all along. Of course, Jesus is quoting from the minor prophets here. It's it's not that God, and it's not that God. We probably should say this: it's not that God didn't care about the outward action at all, right? He did He did actually care about the sacrifices. He did want right. the sacrifices, but he didn't want those without faith in the heart. He, he didn't want just going through the motions, like a, a ritualism, you might say. I mean, right. that's, that's the point that Jesus is making to the Pharisees? Yeah, oh, absolutely it is, because they have become so wrapped up with their, um, their understanding of the law and all of the unwritten laws which they have created as a result that they're really only interested in keeping these laws which they have, which they've come up with, besides the law. And for that reason, they neglect the actual things of the law. You know, you you tithe your mint and your dill and your cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, as he will rebuke them later in the gospel. Um, they are so concerned with their own self-understanding and their own actions that they've really missed the point of why God commanded these things in the first place. You know, the law is not meant to destroy us or destroy a hungry man. I mean, God wants us to feed him. God wants us to take care of him. And as we'll see in the the case of the, the man with the withered hand in the next section, you know, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath because the Sabbath was meant to be good, not just to be a terror uh, to us and to our way, our understanding. Hmm. And what's what's the connection here? Because as I said, this is not the first time that Jesus has used this particular scripture with the Pharisees. Back in back in Matthew chapter nine, mm-hmm. when when he called Matthew to follow him, and and then Matthew invited Jesus and all his friends, right, all these other tax collectors and quote sinners, the mm-hmm. the Pharisees, they're upset by this, and they ask the disciples, why why is Jesus eating with these these people, and. And he tells them at that point, go and learn what this means. Apparently by chapter 12, they haven't gone and learned it yet. But he says, <laughs> I desire mercy and not sacrifice, right? And he says, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here, here, I, I think it's, and I'm not sure if there's a connection or not, but he says, if you'd, if you'd gone and done what I said, right? If you'd learned this, you wouldn't have condemned the guiltless, which is, which is what he's here to do, right? Is to make mm-hmm. sinners guiltless, to forgive. I, I don't know. Is is there a line to be drawn between these two examples in the way that Jesus is using them? Well, I think in the first example in nine, where they're complain, where they're actually just asking the question. You know, they're not really trying to trap him yet. So even just a few chapters before, we're still in that kind of initial exploratory phase of the Pharisees. You know, why is he doing this? And when he comes to them, he says, "You know, I go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." You know. We're not looking just for the righteous. We are looking for the sinners. We are looking to bring in those who are outside the kingdom. And so mercy would say, you know, go to them, you know, be with them, you know, be God to them. And so that they might come into the kingdom and be saved. And actually, I think here, when he's dealing with the question of his disciples, Jesus is saying they actually haven't sinned in this respect. There, there is no sin here, and yet because of your lovelessness, because of your self-righteousness, because of your party spirit, you are more interested in being right than actually, you know, seeing the situation for what it is. And so in both cases, we have an expression of the loveless attitude of the Pharisees, both towards those who are actually guilty and need to find mercy, and actually finding fault with those who haven't committed any sin at all, Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I I like the words that use their party spirit of the Pharisees. I think you really see that come out in the second example or the second second part of this text here that we're going to come into. So so Jesus finishes. Well, before we move on to that, any comments on that last verse as Jesus concludes that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath? 
Well, I think I would just say, like I did before, that Jesus is appealing to himself. So, you know, he's giving the example of scripture, scripture, scripture. And now he's saying, and you also have the greatest authority, which is the son of man himself, who is standing before you. And I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And I, you know, what I say, if I say it's not a sin, then it's not a sin. You have misunderstood the purpose. So... Hmm. Right. And so then this is where, and I, th I think as the text then continues, you really start to see the party spirit of the Pharisees come out. Because notice you have a change of location. They're, they're not walking through the grain fields anymore. Now they get into the synagogue. And, mm -hmm. and here is a man with a withered hand, and, and they're going to challenge Jesus with this man. So, I mean, they're using the synagogue. They're using one of the worshipers of God as, as a weapon against Jesus right here. To, mm -hmm. to trap him. I mean, this is, this is, you really do, you start to see the, the ante, they're upping the ante here in the way they're attacking Jesus. And they come at him with their favorite question, is it lawful, right? This is, this is the question of the Pharisees all the time. Is it lawful? And, and lawful, not in the sense of mercy and love, but lawful in the sense of, did I do the thing right? Right. What, what do you, what do you think their answer would have been, Pastor? I, I mean, what are, what are they, what are they trying to do here with Jesus? I think they're they're basically trying to put him on the horns of a dilemma, as they always are, in the sense of, you know, if Jesus says, yes, it is lawful to do this on the Sabbath, then the, the, in their understanding, they can come back around and say, oh, but wait, you know, that's doing work, that kind of a thing. You know, we, we got you there. But if he says no, then, you know, then he, they would say, oh, but we got you here kind of a thing because, you know, you're just not taking care of your neighbor because I can get you on this other commandment over here. So again, this kind of a, a gotcha answer. So they think they've got him on the ropes here. But so how does well yeah, how does Jesus get out of that then? <laughs> well, just by turning the question around uh, and kind of an innocuous way, too. He says, Well, you guys, if you have a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, you're not going to just leave that sheep in the pit to die, right? You're gonna do what you need to do to get it out because you want to take care of your possessions, you want to take care of your property. Well, if that's true of a sheep and a man is much more worth much more than a sheep, and maybe we can talk about that in a minute, but if a man is worth much more, then it is lawful for us to do good on the Sabbath because you would do it for this lowly creature, you know, this creation of God, a, a, a mere sheep. Why would you not do it for one who actually bears the image of God too? So it is lawful right. to, do the, to do good on the Sabbath. So, and just, just to make sure we understand here, when Jesus asks the question, which one of you who has a sheep, and he, he sets up this scenario for them, he is expecting them to agree with him, right? That, that this right. is, in fact, what they do. I mean, there's not, there's not something that we don't know, you know, that I'm not bringing to the text that's correct, right? I mean, there's not some Pharisee out there that would say, well, no, I would leave him there, the sheep there to die, right? I mean, he, Jesus <laughs> expects that they're going to agree with this, right? Right. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the whole point. You agree with this simple scenario, this real basic scenario, that you would take care of your sheep that has fallen and is in, in, in danger of dying. So why would you not do even much more for a man? Because a man is worth more than a sheep. You know, right. yes, you, he fully you you expects to, them to agree. You, you said you wanted to dig into that. I mean, a man is worth more than a sheep, right, Pastor Heidi? I, I only bring that out in passing because I think sometimes, especially nowadays, you get this idea that men aren't worth more in the eyes of God, that, um, you know, I mean, God is going to take care of all of his creatures, yes, and he wants us to take care of his creatures, yes, but there is a very real sense in the Bible that, you know, man as the crown of creation is the height of God's concern, that all of these animals are given to us for the, the sake of man. You know, we don't want to make man into something less than he is, and we also don't want, don't want to make the animals into something more than they are. They are good, but God is is concerned with the salvation of men. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. And I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm running through some of the examples that Jesus uses within the, the Gospel of Matthew, where he uses an animal as an example. And, right. and as I'm thinking through them, they're always positive examples. You know, it's, right. it's like the the sparrows, right? God is watching over the sparrows. He care. It's right. not that he doesn't care about them at all, right? He cares about them so much. And, and it's always a move then from the lesser to the greater. If God cares so much about the sparrows, then how much more is he going to care 
about you. Even the even the fox that doesn't, you know, foxes have holes, right? I mean, there there's right. an example from Matthew chapter was that chapter eight, where foxes have holes and birds have nests, but Jesus doesn't, right? I mean, so I mean, at least I, I could be missing one, but as I think through the examples when it comes to the the creaturely world, right? That it's always positive, and Jesus is is making the move. Then, so how much more is God going to take care of you? And of course, then the move here. If God's going to do that, then so should you, Pharisees. Right. Yeah. So, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus tells the man, "Well, well, what does he? What does he do, Pastor Heidi?" Well, he just he says, "Stretch out your hand." The man does it, and it's restored. Which actually is kind of interesting because they're condemning the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees are condemning the disciples for doing what involved a tremendous amount of work, you know, threshing that grain out to get enough to satisfy their hunger, which would involve quite a bit of work. And now Jesus does what involves practically no work at all because he just speaks and it happens. So I think Jesus is also kind of showing them something in the way that he heals him too. Um, you know, this doesn't involve any work at all. And would you condemn me for doing this on the Sabbath day? I mean, it really does highlight that party spirit and that lovelessness of the Pharisees, because now Jesus is saying, you know, I'm doing good and see, it, it didn't hardly cost me anything. Hmm. Is, is there something here in the miracle itself that teaches us about what the Sabbath's purpose really is? I mean, this is not just any old miracle, but he's restoring something here. What, what does that have to say about the purpose of the Sabbath? The purpose of the Sabbath, I mean, it is to, to restore, to refresh, to renew, to show us that our time of toil, our time of drudgery uh, will come to an end, and then we will receive uh, in Jesus uh, a rest beyond that which we know even now. I mean, because, you know, we appreciate the value of rest. We appreciate the value of restoration, of having time to relax, that kind of a thing. And so how much more will we appreciate then the rest which we will find in Jesus and the rest which is coming for us, you know, that is still waiting for us and that great Sabbath rest to come? Does that make sense? I think, yes, it does. I, I think, too, when, when you think about the, the original context of the Sabbath, that this is God's rest on the seventh day after his work of creation— what, what do you see Jesus doing here? You see him recreating, restoring that which was was broken and, and warped by sin. He has come to recreate, to restore. And so, I mean, it points to the true significance of the Sabbath, and it points to Jesus again as the Lord of the Sabbath, I think. So it's not just it's not just any old old miracle. I, I think it also highlights, too, and you, you can tell me what you think of this, it, it highlights, too, that that on the Sabbath day, this is God at work for you, even even though that's his day of rest, right? Jesus is here working for you. What does it really mean to rest on the Sabbath day? It's not so much about how much grain you've threshed or how many steps you've taken, but it's, it's about coming to Jesus who's there to give you the rest. It's the work that he's doing for you, not so much the work that you're doing for him. Uh, what do you think, Pastor Heidi? No, and I, I think that's fair, because, you know, when we talk about uh, worship, even even the things that we give back to Jesus in worship are always meant as a response to what he has done first. I mean, even you think of like the great Psalms, for example, and, you know, they talk about praising the Lord. Well, they always tell you why the Lord is worthy of praise, because, you know, he has delivered his people. He has delivered me from death. He has saved me in a time of trouble. The Lord is the one who has done these things, and therefore I can show him that praise and that thanksgiving, which comes forth from faith. So, yes, I think uh, Jesus acting first is certainly a part of the Sabbath and a part of you know observing the Sabbath, if you want to use that language, um, because then ultimately whatever we do on the Sabbath, you know, I mean, should and I mean, we should give thanks for that, right? You know, to return thanks to the Lord for all his mercies, to say, you know, praise be the Lord for all that he has done for me. I, I don't think we can separate the two, we do, you know, because we don't want to focus so much on one that we forget the other, which I think we, we're in danger of doing both ways. So Sure. 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. The Pharisees, though, <laughs> they miss it entirely here. And this is mm-hmm. this is quite striking, isn't it? Jesus has just restored a man's shriveled hand, and and the Pharisees' reaction is, "Let's kill the guy." Right. What I mean. What what is going on with the Pharisees? Why do now all of a sudden you you mentioned how they've gone from questioning they're getting snippy now they're getting beyond snippy, Pastor Heidi? I th- yeah no and and especially after this point you're going to see them asking questions always with this trying to trap him kind of a thing you know they're trying to destroy him they're trying to get the better of him at this point I think because at this point frankly their hearts have been hardened they have turned away from the Lord and. They are hardening themselves to the point where even a miracle to this degree, which we would think would convince anybody, is not going to convince them. I mean, even Jesus says, you know, if a man should rise from the dead, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe. You know, if you're not listening to God, it doesn't matter how much of a miracle is done in front of you. You're not going to listen at all. The miracle is not going to give you faith. It's really in a sense, you're just going to harden yourself even further. I I think I mentioned this when we were studying the book of Exodus, and I don't know if I mentioned it to you particularly, but but I think there's a comparison to be made between Pharaoh as he as he acts in the book of Exodus and the Pharisees and the scribes as they act in the Gospels. There's you know, there's that point where where Pharaoh's hardening his heart, he's hardening his heart, he's hardening his heart, and and everything just it, it's just like the Pharisees. I, I I don't know. I'm I'm not sure exactly what what it is, but I think there's a comparison to be made, and I'm I'm still kind of trying to work that out in my own mind. So no, I I think that's worthwhile ahead. because um, like with the 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 first one, the turning the the bl- the River Nile into blood, uh, Pharaoh sees the miracle, but then he sees his magicians do a very similar counterfeit miracle, and for that reason, he refu- he doesn't listen. And so his heart begins to be hardened. You know, he says, oh, well, it's not really all that miraculous. And so, again, the more miracles that he sees in the plagues, he always comes up with some sort of rationalization, some sort of excuse why he doesn't want to believe it and continues to harden his heart until the point when God himself starts to harden his heart, as it says in the book of Exodus. And perhaps at this point, you know, in God's, the way that God is doing this, you know, maybe he is handing over the Pharisees to their own hardness so that because of their hardness of heart, they will crucify the Lord of glory, but for God's own purposes and God's own reasons. So right. we are dealing with the hidden things of God, of course, but you know what I certainly. mean? Certainly. <laughs> sure. Sure. Certainly. Yeah. And and my, my point is just to notice the the similarities so that we would not fall into those same temptations ourselves to to harden our hearts that that's that's the point ultimately I want to draw out. Now, as you said, they're they're going to to do this. Eventually they are going to kill Jesus, but it's not not yet happening, right? Jesus right. knows that it's not time. And I think that's how we need to take verse 15. It's not that he's running away, but but he's still directing the course of events. It's not time for his death yet. And so he he right. goes somewhere else, right? And and so he continues his ministry. We get one of these summary statements that we've seen in Matthew's gospel already. And, and then you get a very long quote from the prophet Isaiah. We've seen Matthew be very concerned with the fulfillment of the Old Testament throughout. This, I think, though, is his longest quotation, a uh, proper quotation. Pastor Heidi, we've got just under five minutes here. Take us into this last section as Jesus is, is withdrawing, healing, and you get this Isaiah quote. What's, what's going on here? Well, I think it really forms a very nice sort of kind of mid-conclusion, because I mean, this section goes on for a little bit. I don't think it fully ends until you get to chapter 13. But what you're seeing here is this contrast between the lovelessness and the party spirit of the Pharisees, which will ultimately condemn the guiltless, which will not want to heal the broken, which will not want to give Jesus any quarter, any benefit of the doubt, and ultimately try to destroy him, you know, because they just want to be right. Whereas Jesus, on the other hand, in fulfillment of this prophecy, which comes from Isaiah chapter 42, is showing his own spirit, a spirit of love and mercy, a spirit of, you know, one that is going to take care of us because he's not going to break the bruised reed or quench the smoldering wick. And in him, the Gentiles will hope. 
Jesus comes to heal. Jesus comes to give that rest that he was talking about. And this quotation, I think, gives us a very uh, poetic and a very prophetic way of showing just that. Pastor Heidi, with about three minutes left on the morning, we've covered quite a bit of text this morning. Any points that we didn't get to touch on that you'd like to bring out or, or wrap it up? Give us a, a summary. Well, I think ultimately, I'll, I'll just summarize. You know, when we're dealing with the issues of like party spirits and this wanting to be right and to not give our uh, a fair chance to those that we think are opposed to us, we have to understand that that is contrary to, you know, what it means to be uh, in Christ. You know, Christ is not looking to just prove himself right. Christ has come to heal. Christ has come to, you know, restore. Christ has come to lift up the broken and to heal the sick. And so I do think that there is a, a warning for us in there that we would do well to pay attention to, you know, to not always, you know, to give somebody a fair shake. But at the same time, when we're dealing with the issues that the, the Pharisees are concerned with, you know, we also want to, we do want to be concerned with the things of God and not to forget them too, but not to do it in a way that would ultimately be loveless or that would lead to our neighbor's harm, which is what the Pharisees were doing, but to be concerned with the things of God so that we would glorify in what God and what we say and do. Pastor Zelwyn Heidi is the pastor at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. He's also the host of the podcast, A Word Fitly Spoken, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. Pastor Heidi, thank you for your time today. Thanks for letting me be on here. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus urges the Pharisees to learn what this means, and so he would have us learn what it means as well. First, it means to learn who Jesus is. He, above all, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He comes to us in his word to give us rest, to restore us, to recreate us, to, to bring us out of the death of our sin and into the life of his word. And in that life that he gives us, the mercy that he has shown to us shows itself forth to all. As we concern ourselves with the things of God, we concern ourselves also with serving and loving our neighbor, working for their benefit, not in a party spirit, but as those who are in Christ. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.